So we are going to be talking a lot about investigations today and trying to hunt down the lost. PY has not found Dirk Hartog's plate. Oh, just no. Yet. <sighs> What's he been doing over there? <laughs> <laughs> so we still have Harry with us for, <laughs> for the pod. We left last week with basically Bin Laden throughout the 90s growing in his boldest to do anti-US attacks. And we left with him in Afghanistan with the kind of plot to make a big attack against the American government. And having done the Dar es Salaam and Nairobi attacks in 1998, he goes silent for three years mm. because he's scheming something big. Scheming. Now, only a little bit back in time, first of all. So, going to go back to 1996, to the first time 9-11 was pitched. This guy called Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. He's the guy who first presents the idea to Bin Laden. All I'm thinking, like you said pitch, you said present, I'm like... Has he got like the clicker, the PowerPoint slides? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, guys. I haven't had these tech issues before. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to share my screen. Oh, not yet, not yet. Get back. <laughs> Let me so, know when you can see it. Yeah. <laughs> can you just pop back a slide? Yeah. Thanks. Can you zoom? Uh, yeah. I'm just going to pause for any questions. <laughs> oh, sorry, honey. I want to be in right now. <laughs> <laughs> They're trying to make light of it too heavily. It is interesting because the way that 9-11 is kind of organized, it does function a lot like a Western job interview process. So Bin Laden did job interviews. And so there were a wow. lot of, again, we kind of discussed the desire for martyrdom last week. There's a lot of volunteers who within Al-Qaeda are kind of hearing about, we've, we've got we've got something big in store. They can't say what it is for the fear of intelligence leaks. Hmm. It's like, we've got, if you want to be like a holy hero- we have something huge in store for you well. that, that you're going to want. And so they get lots of aspiring people to go into the job interview. Now, of course, they need pilots. They can't just have anyone just to, to coordinate the attack. And so they're like, look, we do need a pilot's license for this one. And they get a, get a fair few people to put their hand up to be, be the volunteer. Another interesting thing, Bin Laden didn't expect the buildings to fall down. So crash into them at a higher thing. The Whatever layers are above the wherever you, the crash point is, that'll fall down. Hmm. But he didn't expect the whole building to fall down. And so he did not actually at all expect... He was thinking it would be on a similar magnitude to the previous terrorist attacks in Africa. He didn't expect it to have anywhere near the casualty rate that it would end up having. How was that known? Basically, this is largely all been found out through Guantanamo Bay interrogations. And a lot of the intelligence we have, and also just from having like plants that have infiltrated Al Qaeda and that sort of stuff. But yeah, this is where a lot of the intel comes from. And so that's kind of on the proviso that you assume Osama bin Laden exists. Because mm-hmm. we will come on to some interesting theories today. I want to start, I'll just scatter them throughout the episode. <laughs> Number one, Osama bin Laden never existed. He was a CIA prop to get rid of Saddam Hussein. Well, that's mm. and that there was a different actor every time that played Osama bin Laden, and that all of his r- recorded footage just didn't exist. How much recorded footage? A fair amount. Yeah. Post nine eleven, he's yeah. making a lot of because he's still all, he's still the leader of Al Qaeda after nine eleven, right? And he's just like yeah, basically saying we need to kind of organize here. The West has got something in store that's coming for you because um, we've got other attacks that come afterwards, like the Bali bombings and that mm. sort of stuff, and the um, the London bombings. And so basically he's like, unless you back off out of, you know, if you don't back out of the Middle East, stop your invasion of Afghanistan, stop your invasion of Iraq, we'll continue to do these attacks. And basically he's kind of, the theory goes that he's held up as this boogeyman and he's just this complete CIA invention to achieve American foreign policy aims. Hmm. Just put it out. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's not my words. It's not my Who might have determined who is this? <laughs> so that's wild. So they just put a beard on someone. Like, that's the theory. Yeah. And some makeup or yep. something. And then they just record in Hollywood or something. Yeah, that was that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Universal Studios. They're like, oh, Nevada could pass for like the Afghan desert or something. Like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, the background is really crazy. So to kind of pass, get through the first round of job interviews, rather than do your kind of like team exercise or whatever, where you're like, okay, four of you guys, here's solve a problem together. Let's see what your teamwork skills are like. You got to speak English. That's the first, that's the first qualifier. 
Because you need a pass for just an American passenger on a plane. Hmm. Secondly, you either need US citizenship or a US visa. No alarms can be raised about you as a person. Mm. And there would actually be, Al-Qaeda would train you in how to order food not in a non-suspicious way at an American airport. Order food. Order food. So commit to the whole, like real method. Yeah. yeah. Commit to yeah. the whole. Just an ordinary American, just ordering a burger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Number three, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and literally. So they also had to, in terms of getting trained to fly a plane, the mountains in Afghanistan are not a good place to learn to fly for mm. obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. So they were actually sent to do refresher pilots training in America. Mm. These are going to be American planes you're going to be flying. They're going to be flying United Airlines. You've got to learn how to fly an American plane. We don't have, like, with a Mujahideen, we're tal- with the Taliban, we don't have access to commercial air- like airplanes. Mm. All we've got is warplanes. So they do refresher training over in America. The CIA knew that there was a plot coming. Mm. They didn't know, well, allegedly didn't know it was 9-11. The Saudis actually tipped them off that uh, Al-Qaeda was going to attack. They were adamant, that, like, they were completely under the belief that that would be in Israel or Saudi Arabia. Mm. based off of previous attacks in Egypt, Nairobi, and Tanzania. So they're actually preparing for an attack in Saudi Arabia or Israel. That's where their attention is. They're completely oblivious to the fact that it's going to come in America. Mm. There was a Minnesota flight school that actually reported one pilot for effectively being suspicious. And while he was in Pakistan, the INS, that's Pakistan's uh, intelligence agency, they arrested him, uh, but the FBI said... Let's not search his laptop. And the FBI actually kind of said, look, I don't think we've got cause to go after him here, which is weird. And so was that one of the guys that then did go on? Correct. Yeah, wow. And it's weird because you're like, what the heck? America's not known for showing restraint. Normally it's so gung-ho. That's because we live in a post-9-11 world where they Mm. pass like the Patriot Act and all that sort of stuff. That all came after 9-11. And also you've kind of got the fact that America has done a lot in the Middle East and like we've got the Gulf War and we've got the kind of consistent support of of, of Israel and America is also just genuinely worried that like Bill Clinton's like, we don't want to come across as as an administration. We don't want to come across like we're just constantly disrespecting all the other countries by kind of hunting them down and interrogating all of them. So the FBI actually says we don't have just cause for an arrest warrant and to search his laptop, which is insane. And I also want to like... If you searched a 90s laptop, how much would actually be on there? Is like also my question as well. Sure. I didn't even realize they had laptops. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. I thought yeah. it was all desktop back then. It's just him playing Pong. It's like just playing Snake. <laughs> they like raid his house just as he's like about to finish. <laughs> Come on, guys. So they decide to let him go. But it's interesting because the Minnesota Flight School is the one that's kind of tipped them off about this. Mm. So Al-Qaeda gets, gets away with organizing 9-11. When we fight, fast forward to September 2011, so we kind of look at the 2000 election. George Bush wins by the kind of the narrowest of margins against Al Gore. And so George Bush becomes the president in the beginning of 2001. So elected 2000, inaugurated into 2001. And so he's really fresh on the job. And so on the day of 9-11, Bin Laden was actually kind of just chilling in an Afghanistan camp and he was just watching it on the BBC. And so basically, yeah, he kind of was more or less just kind of sat down and was like, guys, watch this. We won't go over all the details of 9-11 because that's its own podcast in of itself. And I feel like we're pretty well across the main details of 9-11. Four Mm. planes, two into the Twin Towers, one into the Pentagon, one was kind of stormed and crashed in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Was it going for the White House, that one? Or do we know? Like, where was that aimed for? I thought it was for the White House, but... Yeah. That feels feels right. Feels like that's something they'd aim for. Yeah. White House or Capitol Hill. It mm. all knows is that it was, it was en route to Washington. Okay. So, yeah. basically, that's the details. Death on the thousands and like the scenes are horrific. Mm. Yeah. It was interesting, actually, the first... The that documentary we watched a few weeks ago was the first time I'd seen like the footage of the pilots and stuff getting onto the planes. And it seemed like all of them essentially all of them were stopped at the airport and searched more thoroughly than than just normal people. So there was suspicion, but obviously, yeah, they did enough to to make it through because, you know, 
it could just be rooted in racism as well that they've decided to search these guys. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. like <laughs> you couldn't just not let them on for suspicions. But yeah, crazy sort of how kind of close you they were at all these different points to stopping them. And yeah, because like Bin Laden, he was in the top 10, they knew an attack was coming. They just didn't know it was going to be America. Mm. Allegedly, if you, if you don't believe the inside theory, mm. like the inside job theory. So Bin Laden denied any involvement in the attacks. And he initially he was like, yeah, we like, what are you talking about? We didn't, we didn't do this. And it's the Americans, like the Americans immediately put the blame on Bin Laden. Like this is our quarter through and through. Bin Laden initially is like, no, I didn't. I, like, yeah, I don't like you. And it sounds like something I would do, but I didn't do it. And he kind of actually like denies involvement in 9-11. And this kind of brings us to our next conspiracy theory. So... Basically, what happened is, so he denies involvement and Bush does the war on terror. What's his first target in the war on terror? Afghanistan. Afghanistan. That comes before Iraq. So he's like, okay, the Taliban, you must give up Osama bin Laden right now. The Taliban doesn't do that. And so he says, okay, we're going to invade the Taliban. And we're going to kick you guys out of Afghanistan because we need to bring Osama bin Laden to justice. And so what happens is they they go to Afghanistan and they kind of, yeah, kind of work their way through the mountains. They get to something called the Battle of Tora Bora. And it's widely believed. And at the time it was widely believed. Now it's just generally accepted due to kind of testimony given at Guantanamo Bay and later intelligence gathered that Osama bin Laden was at that battle. Hmm. So Battle of Tora Bora, Americans at the, like Americans at the bottom of the mountains, bin Laden's at the top of the mountains. And basically they're kind of in this stomach where again, the Taliban or ex-Mujahideen are really difficult to beat in the mountains. And so they're kind of at this stalemate and Bin Laden allegedly sends a message down that says, we can kind of end this, I'll turn myself in. Wow. That's the allegation. Bin Laden did not turn himself in. Basically this went psych and then ran away <laughs> <laughs> and fled, never to be seen again until 2011 by Americans. Hmm. So that's more or less what they what the generally accepted narrative is what happened at Tora Bora the Republicans at the time they denied this totally they were like no Osama bin Laden was not there the opposition leader so John Kerry who was the Democrat nominee for 2004 he accused the Republicans so Dick Cheney Donald Rumsfeld George Bush of letting Osama bin Laden go and his strategy was well George Bush is just completely running the lane of we're tough on terror and no, I can't argue that. Even though I kind of think we've gone way too far, the more I argue against it, it's just not going to go down with Americans. And so mm-hmm. he kind of goes the complete opposite route of George Bush's soft on terror. And he's like, you let Osama bin Laden go. You hate, like, like you hate America. You, you let bin Laden go. It was a good tactic. As, uh, so I think it's great, uh, real politic. Mm. It didn't work because he lost the election, but he makes that accusation. Dick Cheney, so Bush's vice president, just kind of rubbishes it. He's like, nonsense, nonsense. It is generally accepted now that he was there at the Battle of Tora Bora mm. and that mm. the Americans did let him go. Not intentionally, but like, yeah, they lost him. And so the next theory is that Bin Laden actually died very soon after that from a lung failure. Well, that's mm. the next. And the, the theory goes like this. It kind of goes hand in hand with the inside job theory. So... 9-11 was an inside job. Bin Laden didn't do it. Bin Laden actually denied doing it straight away. He died while fleeing. And then later in 2004, he kind of admits responsibility. So there's a video of him in 2004 where he's like, yeah, we did this. We had no other choice because the Holy Land has been occupied by the Americans and mm-hmm. you've been completely showing disdain for Arabs for kind of the last century. The theory goes that that video is a, is a, is a fake and that Bin Laden's actually dead and that America has manufactured and doctored that video to kind of put the question of did Bin Laden do it beyond reasonable doubt. So inside job, they can invade Afghanistan and Iraq as well. And Bin Laden actually died sometime after the Battle of Tora Bora, but they just couldn't, like, they couldn't, it would serve no political purpose to admit that he died and to have him dead because he's a boogeyman and him being alive creates energy around a lot of the stuff that they're doing. Mm-hmm. So to have him still appear to be alive is in their interest. The reason for that conspiracy, there's like some low-ranking US government officials that kind of 
have peddled it, but no one particularly high ranking has. And so I, 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 I'm not, I'm not sold at all. And well, yeah, I, I would kind of poop through that theory as fun as it is to kind of speculate on. I would throw some cold water on that one. The question we then got to ask ourselves then is if Bin Laden admitted doing it later in 2004, why did he actually do it? What was the kind of rationale in his words? And I was impressed that your answers were not he hated freedom last episode <laughs> because that I was just under that assumption for so long in my life. I'm like, yeah, this guy's just sitting there being like, man, that Star Spangled Banner is oh, <laughs> And the issue is we never let Osama Bin Laden explain it in his own words. And I'm not like... Yeah, these could come across as like, yeah, like let's just hear Osama Bin Laden. <laughs> Get him on the pod, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but like, in fairness to just kind of understanding the geopolitical complexity of it, let's not decide what someone else's motives are by kind of your mm. like, like let's just understand it in his own words. Is all I'm saying. And w- what did he, what reasons did he give for doing nine eleven? And it's also really interesting because Bin Laden, when he was in the Mujahideen, he was a huge advocate of, and even when he was doing terrorist attacks in the early 90s, he was a huge advocate of never attack children, keep children out of it. He get Then he just kind of gets more and more radicalized throughout the 1990s. What is he kind of hoping to do here? I think there's three things. None of them have to do with hating freedom. Number one, Simon Laden, I would guess, is trying to drive a wedge between Saudi Arabia and America. Hmm. Reason Mm -hmm. why is without the Americans, the Saudis crumble. So again, the Saudis have strict control over Saudi Arabia. Because they give America oil, America kind of gives them great protection. You drive a wedge between the Arab world and kind of put Saudi Arabia, who is this heavily Islamic country, you drive a wedge between them and America, they're weakened and the Saudis can be overthrown by a real Islamic country that's not some moderate sellout. Mm -hmm. That would be how I think he understood it. And this did kind of happen. So when the Saudis denied American entry to kind of hunt down bin Laden, because America were like, we just need to cover all bases here. We want to rock up to Saudi Arabia to look for bin Laden. Saudi said no. And so they instead stationed themselves in Qatar. Hmm. So he kind of had a bit of success in driving a wedge between them. How much, like, how much of an impact do you think Osama bin Laden's actions had on Messi winning the World Cup last year because I think without the Saudi Arabia defeat they don't win and then you know without Saudi Arabia being where they are as a result of Osama bin Laden I just think you know needs even, to be talked even it being held in Qatar really well. yeah 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 mm. yeah and America was but America was also really was really anti like like Qatar as well mm. so playing both sides of the coin yeah I don't know just, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it intrigues me it intrigues me <laughs> The speaking of current events being impacted by Bin Laden, the next motive I think he had is he was hoping this would force a settlement in the Arab-Israeli conflict. And when I say Arab-Israeli, I'm not I'm not saying Palestinian-Israeli. I'm saying Arab-Israeli. So the origins of the Palestinian-Israeli conflict go back to the 1940s. We've gone through it a thousand times in mm. the last two weeks. Everyone saying, "Let me explain to you the complexities of Israel-Palestine." It's like. Yeah, thanks, white girl on Instagram. You you really know. <laughs> <laughs> you really know what's going on here. Um, so it's been going on for for, yeah, for more or less five decades by this point. Um, as Israelis rocked up after World War Two, as the Israelis have rocked up after World War Two. Now, Israel. The reason why Israel could survive against the Arab world is because they're backed by America, and that's kind of the thing that's popping up. The rest of the Arab world has real disdain for Israel up until the kind of up until the the Hamas attack two weeks ago, that was actually softening quite a fair bit. And we kind of, we discussed on the pod before, like the Abraham Accords in back in 2020, where a lot of the Arab states actually started to give a lot more recognition to Israel. But point is, the Arabs and Israelis are at a kind of, yeah, huge standoff against each other. It's main, It mainly comes through the Palestinians, but it also comes through the Lebanese. And the Israelis and the, and the Lebanese have had, had had huge wars before. Except unlike the Pal- Palestinians, the like Lebanon, particularly Hezbollah, so kind of the like radical, the, the militant Islamic group in Lebanon, Hezbollah were a real threat to Israel in a way that the Palestinians weren't. And back in the 80s, they had a conflict and Israelis bombed Lebanon. And Bin Laden said, as he saw kind of the buildings crumbling down in Lebanon, that kind of gave him the motivation to give the West a, a, a taste of what the Arab world felt. 
And he's like, mm. yeah, you guys need to have a taste of your own medicine here because this is what you've done to us. They were also hoping that a heavy US reaction could, like, so US comes in really heavy handed and the Arabs could go, or like Lebanon could go to the rest of the Arabs being like, see, look at the oppression that we're suffering. You need to support us in a, in a heavy war. Which brings us to point number three. I think, and this is the one I'm most sold by, Bin Laden wanted like a complete Arab versus Western war. Wow. So again, like he is being guided mostly by Islam. Like he has a really radical Islamic belief that basically that yeah, the highest moral good is to have strict practice of Islam and not be a hedonist. The West are complete sellouts. They have no moral fiber whatsoever. They just kind of gratify their own short-term desires and have no interest in real justice and in a pursuit to obey Allah. That's kind of the way that he understands. And so basically... What he's hoping is that he attacks America. Bush responds really heavily in the Middle East. And this actually drives Arabs to support hardcore Islamic governments rather than moderate Arab governments. Mm-hmm. That's what he's hoping for. So, again, so kind of the Saudis that are really soft, you get a much more radical Saudi government that comes in. And in the end, what effectively happens is you've got an Arab coalition unifying behind Islam versus the West kind of unified by revenge and you have this just huge standoff and pretty much a war for the kind of the backbone and the moral fiber of islam that is fought in the middle east and for bin laden that war is fought literally in war for most muslims it's fought through the kind of the struggle to be obedient but as Mm. bin laden understands that that war is literally fought with guns and so i think that is far more like a far better explanation for what happened than yeah him hating freedom and even him, like, hating hedonism and all that sort of stuff, that's certainly elements to to that as well. But I think he wants that war to be fought in the Middle East. And I think as well, I, my gut feeling is that's what Hamas is trying to do. So that Hamas, like, again, Hamas aren't stupid. Like, Hamas attacked Israel. Now they're acting like the victims because Israel's responded. It's like, no, Hamas aren't stupid. They 100% knew that Israel would respond with an invasion of, of Gaza after doing that attack. Mm-hmm. Of course, like... Like 9-11 has literally showed us that's what the playbook is. You also kind of look at the complexities of Netanyahu's situation where Netanyahu is has moved further and further towards like a more militaristic kind of political outview as he's gone through time. He is also kind of in a compromised position politically. A war will save his political career. They've done all these calculations. I've got no doubt they would have done all these calculations and known that doing a 9-11-esque attack would warrant this kind of huge counter-reaction from Israel. And I think that's what Hamas want. Because then Hamas can reach out to the other nations to encourage them for, again, to, to save the Arabs against the Israelis to get involved in a war. Because the Palestinians, they can't beat Israel in just a regular war. But if in coalition with other Arab forces, they certainly can. Mm. That, for me, is the tactical play that makes much more sense than, yeah, they hate Jews. Or, yeah, they hate, if some even argue, yeah, they hate Western freedom. Yep. Or they just simply lashed out after being occupied by, by the Israelis in the Gaza Strip. So I, th- I think that makes a lot more sense to me. And I think that's what Osama bin Laden was going for. Now, I can't say I've trawled through every single like speech mm. that bin Laden has given from you know his cave, mm. but it makes just way more sense than, yeah, this guy had freedom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, this guy, yeah, just doesn't like red, white, and blue. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying that he was trying to unify the Arab world in their disdain for the enemy, as in the West. Yes. And so that they would kind of take up arms. But where would that, like a world war? Like, is that what he wanted? Do you Pro- think? Probably a regional war. So okay. you'd kind of take out, I mean, it would have done calculations and known that certainly Australia would support America because it's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Britain. Mum said you have to bring me along too. <laughs> like your older brother. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, like when the, the the strong guy is picking on the weak guy, but you've also got like the strong guy's weak best friend. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I'd say a regional war. So certainly we've done calculations. America plus moderate Arab states that want to trade with America for oil plus Australia. I don't think he would have expected Britain. Britain ended up getting involved in Iraq, which probably people thought potentially they might not have. Would have definitely been like, okay, EU, no way. 
and like China will want to stay out of it and all that sort of stuff as well. Probably would have also done the calculation to be like Northern Africa would support us because again, a lot of Northern Africa is Arab. So I would have said, yeah, a regional war fought over the Middle East that is kind of branded as not just a war of resources or war of territory, but a war for the soul of this place. Mm. And again, he's got that Mujahideen attitude. If you can take away our land, that's not what we're fighting for. Mm. We're fighting for our ideology. Such that the Middle East can be dominated by by Islam. And yes. Yeah, okay. And like, again, because you got to remember throughout, like, throughout history, Islamic caliphates have ruled that area. Yeah. And again, they've been crushed. So the Ottoman Empire falls at the end of World War One. You've then got Britain and France that kind of carve up the Middle East, mainly Britain, that carve up the Middle East, kind of claim these like mandates of Britain claims Palestine and Iraq, the French claim Lebanon, and like, we'll, we'll run you until you're mature enough to run yourselves. And mm. so you kind of got all that context there. And Bin Laden was looking, well, in my opinion, was looking for just this kind of all-out war, pretty much endgame for the soul of the Middle East and all the Arabs are going to unite behind Islam and the West are going to be evil colonizers and we need to stop that evil colonization. Mm. That would be how I think he would understand it and the messaging that he was promoting. And you're like, oh, why do all these radical people want to people want to join Al-Qaeda? And we kind of touched on martyrdom last week. But then you've also, we've also got to like think contextually, these are people from like, say, Lebanon, where a kind of pro-US-backed Israel's killed your brother and father and whatnot. And you've been left like absolutely devastated by that. That's kind of really fertile conditions to be radicalized mm. and to, to fight. I think that's what Bin Laden was going for. Mm. But it didn't happen. Yeah. So in Afghanistan, the Taliban are kind of temporarily crippled. They obviously came back in 2021, but they're for kind of nearly two decades, they're kind of forced to the fringes. And the Americans kind of push the Taliban to the outskirts of Afghanistan. In Iraq, Saddam is very quickly toppled and replaced with a pro-US government. Bin Laden is out of luck. Israel give control of the Gaza Strip. I mean, when I say give control, they kind of have some self-autonomy for the Palestinians in the Gaza Strip in 2005, but they still pretty much just siege off and barricade off the Gaza Strip, both in the sea and on the land. So there's kind of some concessions that are given there. It doesn't result in this all-out Islamic war that Bin Laden was hoping for. And it, in your first couple of years, it seems like America wins the war on terror. As time's gone on, we're like, no, it, they definitely didn't because it created ISIS and the Taliban came back. But at that moment of history, it looks like the Americans have won the war on terror. Mm. So Bin Laden is forced to kind of flee into, into safety. So sometime in the mid-2000s, he slipped into a place in Pakistan called Abbottabad. Mm-hmm. It is, I think, if I'm not mistaken, about 120 kilometers north of Islamabad. Mm. Islamabad being the capital of Pakistan. Mm-hmm. Not actually in as far in the wilderness as what you'd expect. Yeah. Like imagine hiding in Wollongong. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, true. Yeah, it's a bit of a... It's just a little weekend away. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Which makes everyone think Pakistan probably knew. Mm. So Pakistan's in a weird... They're geopolitically in a really weird situation in that... India, for most of its history as a as an independent non-British nation, was pro-Soviet. Then, after collapse of the Soviet Union, they became now they're very pro-US. Pakistan was initially pro-US because India were pro-Soviet, but with the rise of China, they've kind of weaned themselves off America and have moved increasingly towards China. <laughs> and they're not this kind of out-and-out firm US ally. And Pakistan are also really worried about America bringing the war on terror to to Pakistan. And Pakistan is really annoyed because it's like, what the heck? You've sent the Taliban into our country by invading Afghanistan. Yeah. Hmm. They're really annoyed at America for doing that. And a lot of people in Pakistan, like Pakistan is also a Muslim country. There's a sense of Muslim brotherhood with the people in Afghanistan, particularly with the Taliban. And so it's, pretty well suspected that a lot of Pakistanis in intelligence knew that Bin Laden was chilling in their country, but they weren't going to give him up. Mm. Interestingly, it was pretty common knowledge in America that Bin Laden was somewhere in Pakistan. Donald Trump even said so in the late 2000s. Wow. There's a video of like Trump, he's like kind of flirting with the idea of being president at that point. And he's like, Oh, if I was president, I'd catch Bin Laden. He's probably somewhere in Pakistan. I don't know for sure, but yeah, I've got a pretty good sense on these things. I'd say Pakistan. 
Well, fair play to him. He was right. So America was pretty confident that he was in Pakistan, but because mm-hmm. they couldn't find him, that started to put strain on the relationship. It's like, well, we're pretty sure he's here, but I can't prove it. Yeah. And you yeah. guys aren't helping us. Because like, the same thing like, like, I know, as a teacher, when I invest interrogating a student or whatever, like, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I, don't no, know, I saw sir. you with that person. <laughs> uh, I don't know, sir. <laughs> um, Not all. <laughs> and so America and Pakistan, the, the relationship is becoming increasingly strained and that will be really important at the end. Also, you got to remember the fact that the Pakistanis had funded bin Laden in the Soviet-Afghan mm. war. America put a bounty of $25 billion on bin Laden's head. If anyone wow. gives us information... Wow. So, again, a lot of people calling up, like, hey, I'm, 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 I'm Ron. <laughs> so my mate's cousin was telling me to party. <laughs> um, they then doubled it to $50 million. Wait, did you say billion what? or million? Million. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, 50 yeah. million. That's, uh, yeah, that's Bill Gates' net worth at that point in history. So, <laughs> yeah, 50 million what to any information that could help us track down bin Laden. If you're, I don't know, if I, if Trump's given me that tip, yeah. if I call up, be like, yeah, I, I know he's in Pakistan. Yeah. <laughs> like, chances are. Anything. Yeah, it's like, all right. Uh, like hundred grand, I'll take a hundred grand. So when you get him in Pakistan, yeah. <laughs> I told you that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, do you reckon that guy just feels like he, what a stitch up? He's like, what do you mean? They caught him, <laughs> and they got nothing. And I got yeah. nothing. <laughs> I, I told him exactly yeah. where he was. <laughs> yeah, so you asked for information, I gave you information. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> do you reckon there was people at the time just going like looking at Pakistan, just pointing out somewhere on a map? Yeah, like, let's try this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's as well, it's, it's really interesting because America knows they're in Pakistan. They capture all these Al Qaeda people, chuck them in Guantanamo Bay, torture them. They get nothing. So even after like heavy torture, they're like, I don't know, I don't, I don't, I don't know where Simon Laden is. It's like, well, waterboard you. Go ahead. And because they're super radical and they're so intent on the idea that what they're doing is like the highest moral virtue you could do, they have an unbreakable spirit. I guess, like in that sense, of the way it's it's admirable, and that they believe in an idea so much they can go through torture. Have you seen Zero Dark Thirty? No, I haven't. Okay, yeah, I'll need to fact check that because I don't even know if that's related. But I feel like it, it's about that. What what is I <laughs> about the um the sort of torture to get information about where Osama bin Laden is? But I really want to fact check that. What? Spill, spill, spill. What torture? Oh, just like I. It was the first time I ever saw like waterboarding and, and that kind of thing. I think he's right. the The premise is a group of CIA operatives led by analyst Meyer spends over a decade tracking the location of one of the most dreaded names in the United States of America, Osama bin Laden. Wow! wow. Great work, Harry. So I'm gonna say it is entirely true, and if you have any issues, uh, you can send an email through. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, basically, they, they kind of get nowhere initially. As a lot of people in Al-Qaeda start to become a little bit jaded and they're like, oh, this isn't working. We're kind of near the end of the 2010s and we haven't actually created this Western versus Islamic war that we were going for. Hmm. They start to spill a little bit more and they, they give a big clue. They kind of get a name from multiple people. His name is Mr. Al-Kuwaiti. That feels made up. Yeah, <laughs> it is effectively the, the Arab equivalent of Mr. Smith. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Singh in India, Mr. Lee in China. Like you can kind of just go through the most generic name in each country. Like Mr. Rojas, like it's just the most generic name in the Arab world. Well, it's, it's like Kuwait, right? Yeah. It's like yeah. saying his name's Mr. Cambry. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, no, they're like, okay, like initially they're like, oh, sweet. And then, the- yeah, we're so on. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, of course, they know that the, the, <laughs> they know the Arab world quite well. They know the, the life of the world. <laughs> uh, but in 2009, they get Mr. Q80. They don't do anything about it. They're like, well, I just want to, I just want to see what he does. But they, they, they figure out who he is. In 2010, they kind of watch his moves and he goes to this compound in Abbottabad in Pakistan and he's coming in and out constantly. And they're like, okay, this guy is the guy that is the go-between between Bin Laden and the outside world. Mm. Bin Laden could probably still be alive today if he didn't want to record, if he didn't want to run Al-Qaeda and was just happy to like literally be in hiding for the rest of his life. He'd probably still be alive today. Just go somewhere in the, like return to the Afghan mountains, especially now that the Taliban's in, and just hide somewhere there and US won't get to you. 
but he wants to run Al-Qaeda and he doesn't want to give up his kingdom. Like this is the holy war that he's kind of created his whole identity around. Just got that hustle mindset, you know, (laughs) he just, he's just not a quitter. He stays grinding. And so he probably took responsibility for things that he had no involvement with. So like, yeah, obviously like we have huge Al-Qaeda links to a lot of terrorist attacks. It was probably his men that were doing a lot of the coordination rather than him, but he's doing the videos being like, yeah, don't mess with Al-Qaeda. This mm. is what... Yo, what is going on, guys? Welcome back to another. <laughs> <laughs> and that's like literally... So that we were discussing off air, the family guy cutaway of like somewhere in Afghanistan and it cuts to Bin Laden in the cave and where Stewie Griffin rocks up, they fight with the chicken and he's yeah. doing yeah. recording sunglasses. And that's kind of like the mid-2000s kind of perception as well. He's just hiding in a cave, not really running Al-Qaeda, but he's claiming to run Al-Qaeda and he can't let go of his kingdom. Al-Qaeda is coming in and out, in and out, in and out. And this is kind of tipping the Americans off. Now, they get drone photos over the top. They've never seen Bin Laden. Hmm. And so if they do a military operation, it, like the geopolitical consequences could be strong if it's not Bin Laden. Because hmm. he's in Pakistan. Pakistan is not an enemy of the US. It's a kind of, it's a tense relationship. It's like a cousin that they kind of, yeah, see at Christmas and, and can get along with at times, but have a fraught relationship otherwise. But- if you kind of just bomb this house in Pakistan and it's not Bin Laden, mm. that's doing your own 9-11. Mm. So they're like, the the geopolitical consequences are really high. And so effectively, intelligence lays it back, so FBI lays it back to Obama and then we're like, your move here. We can, we've got, we've got Navy SEALs that can, can raid this place. Like, I think we probably won't be able to bomb it because we'd, kill too many civilians around it and that would be a terrible kind of there'd be terrible consequences that came with it but we could we could storm it probably lose no navy seals and kill bin laden we're pretty confident bin laden's in there and so obama's got to make the decision of what do you do like it, mm. it is really and like mm. it is really high stake it's a really high stakes game of do you go ahead with it or not particularly because he campaigned on getting out of dumb wars we're going to get out of iraq that was a dumb war if it goes south, he's just really annoyed the Middle East and will be seen as a hawk forever. So he's left with this decision. They kind of, throughout 2011, they kind of, um and ah, they get a little bit more intelligence. They're pretty confident he's in there. And Obama gives the go ahead for the Navy SEALs to do an, uh, an invasion. It's called Operation Neptune Spear. Ugh. That's kind of cool. That's a name. I really want to know who's the guy who's workshopping all the yeah. <laughs> Mate, the guy that's doing those needs to talk to the guy who names hurricanes, bro, because they got to get <laughs> one of them's firing on all cylinders, the other ones, you know. <laughs> Do you reckon what? they were like, what about Project Neptune? And they're like, no, nah, that doesn't have <laughs> no. enough punch. Yeah. yeah. We're talking yeah. about a once in a lifetime event. It needs to, like. That's just like some cold outer planet, you know, that, like, it's like no one cares now. <laughs> So yeah. there's an issue as well. To have the Navy SEALs attack a Pakistani territory would be an act of war. Legally, you cannot have your army or your Navy attack another country without like a declaration of war. Hmm. And they don't want to declare war on Pakistan because that's not what they're going for. So they transfer them to the CIA. And they're at, these guys aren't Navy SEALs. They're CIA officers just doing an investigation. They're just gathering intelligence. That's all we're doing. We're allowed to gather intelligence. We're allowed to do that. And so there's kind of this like legal sleight of hand that they use. The other thing is, do we tell Pakistan? Because mm. Pakistan will be super annoyed when we effectively do this huge military operation in their country and they're not told. They could help us. They know the lay of the land well. The INS could be of use to us. But given that we've been on the hunt for him for a decade and- we haven't found him and we're pretty sure he's in Pakistan and Pakistan's been of no help. They've probably been keeping secrets from us. They might tell Bin Laden to go get out of there mm. if it slips through the wrong hands in the INS. Mm. And they're pretty convinced that there's pro-Al-Qaeda operatives in the Pakistani INS. Yeah. So Obama says, let's not tell Pakistan. Mm. Wow. And there's a lot of Pakistani skepticism around America and a lot of it comes from from this sort of stuff. So, this was the plan. Kill Osama bin Laden. Take him to Afghanistan. And while in Afghanistan, because the Taliban's on the outskirts at that point in history, so they control Kabul. So take him back to Kabul. 
and identify his body back in Afghanistan before the Pakistanis kind of catch wind of what's happening. Mm-hmm. Huge, like yeah, like, yeah. Like the I, the Navy SEALs that kind of the operation. That it is such an insanely difficult operation. Yeah. Mm. So the way that the Navy SEALs are going to get there because it's a compound, they can't just rock up in a truck or anything. They need to do a very swift action and do it in one quick move before Bin Laden can escape. They send two helicopters. The first helicopter, you're a mathematician, Ben. So, you know the physics behind a vortex ring state? (laughs) (laughs) No. No, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they teach you that. I I was going to look it up and try and get my head around it, but I'm just too dumb. So, I was like... I'll just ask Ben and tell me tell me about Vortex what's a Vortex we should wait I, 10 minutes and Ben should do some research <laughs> yeah I think you could you could get your head around it much quicker than I could I don't know what a Vortex ring state is basically I think it's when you're trying to land a helicopter with a cold air pressure or something that causes the kind of rotor to kind of completely malfunction uh-huh. point being they like complete the first helicopter completely botched the landing and crashed <laughs> oh, in, no. into the compound Okay. And so, really, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, at that point, you're like, they're like, oh crap, like we've we've completely boshed this. Bin Laden's just going to run and escape here. Yeah. The second one gets there straight afterwards and successfully lands. And in fair play to the pilot of the first helicopter, to be able to land that plane, like it was a crash landing, but to be able to land it in a way that preserved every single life of all the sales and they immediately disembarked and com- like continued with the mission hmm. is actually, it wasn't his fault that he crashed the plane. It was, well, like it made his intelligence's failure to kind of not read the weather or whatever. Yeah. It wasn't the pilot's failure to, to not do it. Also fair play to the second pilot to me, actually landing in really difficult circumstances. So they land. Disembark- sorry, do you reckon? So, yeah, sorry. I was going to say, do you reckon like when they're at the pub, like in the years following, do you reckon they're like, do you reckon he's still, like cops it for that. <laughs> the second pilot's like, yeah. oh, mate, Boris really left. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, here he goes, Vortex ring state again. <laughs> it's like, oh, the grip. That, yeah. that helicopter had no grip whatsoever. <laughs> as soon as he tries to roast someone, they could just be like, aren't you the guy that... that- <laughs> you, your buddy did it. Yeah. <laughs> you only let Bin Laden go, man. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, so did he crash or did he... It was a crash landing. Crash landing into okay. the into the compound. So the compound's super high. But they all, uh-huh. And the compound is guarded by walls that's why they were confident that Bin Laden was in there because okay. it was super even for Pakistan it was super cut off with walls and there was no windows that you could get window access yeah. to Yeah, so that's why they're like yeah we think Bin Laden's in there Okay, and again like far out to be able to pick like I think of all the buildings in the world yeah, and just from one guy that you got intel from from Guantanamo Bay going in and out of that compound a lot yeah. to be like yeah that's our guy needle in a haystack really yeah mm-hmm. so the raid took 40 minutes. Not a single Navy SEAL died. They kind of stormed the first floor. Bin Laden wasn't there. Got to the second floor, saw Bin Laden and shot him instantly. And the, yeah, the like Navy SEAL shot him in the head. I think he shot him twice, actually. And yeah, he's the Navy SEAL that can forever be like, yeah, I was, oh, yeah, did that, did, I was the guy. Uh, we probably don't know who those SEALs were, do we? Or yeah, if they've yeah, been yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Someone's wrote a book, I think. Yeah, yeah right. And so do we know who shot him? Yeah, I, can't, I don't know. It's yeah, like okay. Roger someone, I think. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. So. I bet all his mates know. I bet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just that the group chat was firing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I did a thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> um, but yeah, fair play. Like you'll, you'll hear me constantly speak pretty ill of the American military operations that is no ill will towards the actual soldiers themselves. It's more the kind of the military industrial complex that, gu- that guides it. Um, that is an incredible operation that the Navy SEALs pull off to be able to do that in 40 minutes with no casualties whatsoever. And so it's a firefight. There's, uh, there's uh, other Al-Qaeda guys that are there. Bin Laden's unarmed. He seemed, from all accounts, he seemed to know that the jig was up as soon as that first helicopter arrived. He might have had a, or maybe the second helicopter, he might have had a 40 out of chance when that first helicopter crash landed. Or maybe he was thinking that that was intentional to kind of like destroy the compound of the building and then mm. the next one comes in. Mm. We don't know. So he gets captured, taken to Afghanistan. They successfully identify his body. Obama does his kind of press release. They're like, yeah, we've killed 
we've got in, we've killed Bin Laden. There's partying on the streets in America, but they're also put on very high security alert for a retaliatory Al-Qaeda attack. Mm. They go to Saudi Arabia and they ask if they want to keep the body. Saudi Arabia says no. And none of the other countries that he's connected with want his body. Afghanistan is now not controlled by the Taliban, it's controlled by the interim government that would eventually kind of go out again. And they don't want him either. And so he's laid to rest in the sea and his body is cast away. Really? So it's just out there somewhere? What a, well, mm. no body. Oh my gosh. Sounds like another Sounds high like- profile. Yeah. <laughs> Disappearance that they conveniently didn't have the body for. <laughs> Harold Holt. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. That's what I, was. Um, I was thinking Hitler, just for anyone that didn't know. Okay. So um, this then sparks all the conspiracy theories. That is strange that, yeah, they didn't do something more profound with it. Um, Which is why a lot of people are like, well, like surely if you want to kind of remove any conspiracy theories you just show the world the body then cast it away mm. that there's like it's intelligence has photos of the body public doesn't have access to photos of the body so they've made a decision decision to not release the photos yeah, yeah. and obama's justification was like no one wants him we don't want to kind of like create a mythology around this guy whatsoever he's just a criminal and that mm. conducted a huge war crimes against america we're going to cast him out but nobody Mm. means you can't have you can't not have a conspiracy theory with nobody mm. and so main one is that he died of heart fa- of lung failure back in 2001 and that basically actors played the role of bin laden by 2011 he was no longer needed he was surplused to requirements and that the cia needed to use bin laden like the death of bin laden in order to kind of recapture american positivity towards the Middle East in the sense that they'd grown jaded even though the boogeyman was out there if we kind of announce his death that will kind of get people to go USA, USA, USA again and mm-hmm. they wouldn't feel so jaded about the Middle East that's the theory some argue that he is still alive today mm. well Obama said you will never see Bin Laden again and he said that, like for me it's just that's Beyond re- that puts it beyond reasonable doubt that Obama's like, yep, we've put his body at the bottom of the ocean. If anyone still thinks he's alive today, you will never hear or see of Osama bin Laden again. So to kind of stake his whole, again, if that comes out that he's wrong, he becomes the worst US president in history mm-hmm. on a reputation level. So it'd be political suicide for him to, to do that if right. they just made up the assassination. Right. For him to say it with such yeah. assertiveness. Yeah. So... That one's got next to no chance. The diet of lung failure has more credibility to it. But again, we just don't have enough high profile people that have come out and have spoken about it. It does make more, it does make more sense because it deals with the fact that, yeah, it's been 10 years and we haven't seen Bin Laden pop up anywhere. And so, yeah, like it would be quite the move for like in 2025 for Bin Laden to like just make a broadcast. Yeah. yeah. Like, guess who's back? Yeah. Somehow. <laughs> Bin Laden returned. <laughs> And so, yeah, you then you've got got to deal with the fallout. Pakistan was obviously really annoyed. So, because this is a huge failure on the NSI's part to know to not know about this. So the NSI, a lot of them come out and say that we knew about this. Yep, we cleared it. It was all good. Uh, and mm. but the the civil government in Pakistan were like, no, you like the NSI did not brief us on any of this. If they knew about it, um, they didn't know about it. And America, you've completely violated our sovereignty by not running it past us. And there's also, yeah, ever since, there's been a pretty huge geopolitical crack between Pakistan and America. And so the implications of this are very long-lasting. Obviously, the Taliban returned in Afghanistan in 2021. So the mission to hunt and find Osama bin Laden, I guess it worked after 10 years. But apart from that, none of America's aims were achieved in <coughs> Afghanistan. And I just don't see a way that the Taliban can be beaten unless you kind of nuke all of their strongholds. Because, again, like in, when it comes to guerrilla warfare, it doesn't matter how good your Navy SEALs are, you're not going to be able to completely repress them. Because, again, they don't believe in land or anything. They believe in an idea. Mm. And that's the thing that unifies them. And so the consequences of Osama bin Laden are very strong. If Osama bin Laden never existed, the world would look incredibly different today. Mm. Do you reckon we'd still have Family Guy? <laughs> If Osama bin Laden never existed, 
So what? So the, the, the logic would go like this: Seth MacFarlane doesn't nearly die in nine eleven. Yeah. So Family Guy got it got cancelled after like season two or season three, and then came back in season four, like two thousand and four, two thousand five, sometime around then. So was it going on prior to two thousand and one? Yeah, okay, it started in right, the 90s, then okay. got cancelled. So maybe so he doesn't a- have a new lease of life. Yeah. Because September 11 never happens. Yeah. Or maybe September 11 still does happen. It's just a different guy that... True, yeah. That yeah. fills that vacuum. I mean, if it was pitched to him by someone else, then yeah, they could have enacted it differently. Yeah, the in the first episode of Breaking Bad, where Walter White finds Jesse and mm-hmm. is like, you know the people, I know the chemistry. Yeah. And clearly in, in that context, the chemistry is much more valuable than the... Mm. Like, Bin Laden did have the money to finance all of this. Yes. Yeah, no, yeah. Mm. a very few Arabs in, who kind of so strongly believed in um, kind of the Arabian independence, militant Islamic kind of movement would have had those resources to be able to finance what Bin Laden did. I'm still curious. Do we know how he became radicalized? Yeah, the, I'd say the Iranian Revolution and the Soviet-Afghan War. So he, he went from being... Nominal, like a nominal Muslim to a devout Muslim throughout the seventies, yeah, and he like rejected like, yeah, all like Western hedonism and like kind of party culture and that sort of stuff, and he kind of he felt bitter towards his other rich mates that abused their wealth to engage in just to gratify their kind of short term desires, and then that was kind of compounded with seeing America have such a strong influence in the Middle East. And then that was compounded with the Iranian Revolution and then the Soviet-Afghan War, seeing Arabs fight foreigners well and resist Western influence well. And then just over time, just became more and more radicalised. But in a way, his father didn't... No, Bin Laden, he would have viewed his dad as like a yeah, corporate sellout. Like, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, like you, you were gifted with wealth because you made friends with the right person and you used it to kind of serve your own interests rather than to fight, like, do the jihadist struggle. Mm. Fascinating guy. Yeah. Yeah. If you pursued football, what would have his, <laughs> what yeah. his top scoring season? <laughs> but, yeah. And he also, like, he goes, yeah, you look at him, he's, he's not that old, like, 57. Like, he's born in 1957. That's, like, what, like, our dad's sort Mid-60s, of. Mid-60s, yeah. Yeah, that sort of age. So, he was, born, he was born 12 years after the death of Hitler. Like, it's, like we think of him as like, yeah, kind of like occupying this role in 20th century history, but he came significantly after the fact and still, yeah, if he was alive today, wouldn't be particularly old. Mm. Still like what, 12 years, 13 years younger than, than Trump, 15 years younger than Biden. Like, yeah. so yeah, fascinating, fascinating figure. Yeah. Yeah. I've learned a lot. I feel like, you know, my horizons have broadened, um, he didn't just hate freedom, you know. He didn't just hate freedom, but he probably did as well. He probably hated. He hated a particular type of freedom. Yeah, um, yeah. the American freedom. <laughs> thanks for having. Thanks for being here with us, Harry. Um, we had fun. Yes, we did. I had fun. We're gonna have more fun. Uh-huh. If we go to the Patreon special. Oh. <laughs>